This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Heart disease is extremely common and traditional medical treatment has been limited in managing the burden of this disease, especially in those with congestive heart failure. Transplantation has potential for benefit, but organ shortage remains a significant barrier. It's hoped that regenerative medicine will help solve this unmet need with new treatment options to repair damaged heart tissue. With us to discuss regenerative medicine in the cardiovascular system is Dr. Ada Befar, a cardiologist with expertise in advanced heart failure and transplantation. Welcome, Ada. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start by you describing the regenerative potential of the heart and the cardiovascular system. Absolutely. So the heart, unlike what um, has potentially been taught in med schools, does have some regenerative power. Both the heart itself and tissues like the bone marrow and even uh, cells in your bloodstream can work together to maintain what's called homeostasis in the heart. That means with routine wear and tear, the heart has the capacity to heal itself. Big issue that occurs is with massive insult or with non-physiological insults. That can be something as um, straightforward as chronic high blood pressure, or it could be something as devastating as a heart attack that overwhelms this ability of the heart to maintain its normal health. And, and really the, the field of both advanced heart failure and regenerative cardiology is focused on trying to restore normalcy in the heart or replace the heart when those issues occur. So when scar tissue forms as a result of a large MI, that doesn't really go away. That pretty much stays. It's non-viable, non-functioning cardiac tissue, right? That's right. And the injury that occurs with a heart attack is really insurmountable by the heart and its normal processes to heal. Well, in the field of cardiology, what areas of our current standard of care clinical approaches do you struggle with in terms of patient care? I think in the initial phase of insult, although as you look right now in medicine, when someone says, I'm having chest pain, there is massive infrastructure to get that individual into an ER and get them to the cath lab to make sure if they are having a heart attack, that those blood vessels are opened up. Nevertheless, this period in time where you don't know if you're having heartburn or if you've eaten something and you know you may wait a couple hours before sounding that alarm results in perpetual damage in the heart as you're deciding if you're having a heart attack or not. That isn't something that we can yet correct for simply by opening up the plumbing. In other words, by opening up the blood vessel of the heart, the sustained period of damage cannot be reversed right now with current technology. So that's a big challenge that we've been trying to address. And then if we take that same individual and now fast forward five to 10 years where now they have a scar and their heart has worked hard to try and compensate for that scar and finally succumbs to it. In other words, 
it cannot remodel anymore to try to make up for that deficit. That advanced heart failure stage is very difficult to manage. And we, what we try to do is employ increasingly aggressive types of both medical therapies and technologies to try and extend the life of these individuals. So really the management and survival of a patient having an acute MI is, is pretty good. The problem comes later uh, and it seems to make sense to kind of put your money where the, the issue is to take care of those people with the chronic problems, the heart failure, the damaged heart, more following the acute MI. Okay. So from my reading, it looks like regeneration and regenerative therapies and cardiovascular system been around for about the past decade. What progress has been made over these past 10 years? So I think that in the initial phase, really with the birth of regenerative medicine through the advent of identification of different stem cell sources from the bone marrow, from fat tissue, and other sources, we started to imagine within cardiology the opportunity to try and provide the heart with a surplus of biological material to overcome these barriers to regeneration that the heart itself has, right? So in other words, although the heart itself may not be able to regenerate, maybe if we add additional cells, we would be able to help heal the heart. I think to date, what's really been established is one, the fact that delivery of different types of therapeutic modalities to the heart is safe and the identification of key elements that need to be activated within the heart to try and achieve these regenerative events. So from a mechanism standpoint, we have some better understanding. And from a safety standpoint, we figured out how to deliver these biologics. And the two together now, I think, are poised to allow us and to guide us in advancing this field forward in this coming decade. Okay. What limitations do you come across? So there's a few limitations that we have really that hasn't allowed cardiac regeneration in its current form to go prime time, if you will. Number one is cost. When you talk about taking a living organism, growing up to a certain threshold number, preserving it somehow, and ultimately getting it into a patient, both the cost of manufacturing that drug, if you will, as well as the supply chain management from harvest to freezing to thawing to transporting and delivering, ends up costing actually a tremendous amount. And when you're competing with heart surgery costs, the number of patients that potentially could get access to that technology, as well as the ability to be able to carry out large-scale trials is just hampered. And so I think that that has been a big uh, challenge for us. The second thing actually is underpinned by the same premise. Because we're taking a live resource and trying to leverage it for therapeutic use, we can't guarantee that that living organism is going to behave exactly the same way from patient to patient to patient. And so we have this 
issue with interpatient variability where some individuals react extremely well to the therapy, whereas other individuals may not react at all or may not benefit at all. And the work that we've done in particular at Mayo has really focused on how do we ensure therapeutic uniformity while at the same time really working hard to democratize these therapies so that the cost is not so burdensome that it eliminates large portions of the population from being able to get access to it. Can we talk a little bit about your work? What are you actually doing in this area? So what we have been doing uh, historically is actually focused on stem cell-based therapy. And our work, if you go back even to two decades ago, had really focused on how do we ensure that when a dose of stem cells is delivered, it gives the exact same therapeutic input as the next dose. Because early on, we were getting these cells right out of the patients themselves, that variability was actually very, very high, right? Because we all look different. Our stem cells all behave differently. And so what we really took on was an approach to try to create a uniform technology. That technology has actually gone through several stages of clinical studies. Um, We've learned a lot about how big the heart can be before it can reverse a remodel with stem cell-based therapy. So we've learned more about the target patient populations with that effort. In the meantime, technologically, we've been able to, on the stem cell front, derive now a universal donor protocol, if you will. In other words, we can take a single donor and create these super regenerative stem cells out of a single donor for use in many patients. So it's another step forward in cost containment and also in just ensuring that we have dose-to-dose equivalency as we treat patient populations. Still, the cost in our eyes was too high. So Really, in the last five years, what we ended up doing was studying what the key active ingredient of stem cells is. In other words, we know what the modes of action that help the heart are. And we started to look, well, is it really necessary to even have the stem cell in there? The stem cells was cost driving up all these costs, causing all these variabilities, We just need activation of A, B, and C in the heart to achieve regeneration. And what we discovered was that the stem cells that are most capable of affecting regeneration are actually secreting something that does that. And that something is actually something called an extracellular vesicle. It's like a mini cell, if you will, or a nano cell a piece of a cell that gets uh, jettisoned from the cell and influences cells around it. And what we in the laboratory and now actually in the Center for Regenerative Medicine have been able to do is purify these extracellular vesicles, which are now not live, and clearly define them so that we know exactly what's in them and exactly what they do. And we actually have been able to even freeze-dry them or lyophilize them so that they're stable sitting on the shelf at room temperature. With that, we've been able to drive down the cost of these therapies by 100 to 1,000x. And so 
the effort now is to take what is, in our eyes, a much more democratized exosome or extracellular vesicle solution and see if in place of stem cells, it can achieve the same types of regenerative benefit we were seeing before. And because it's totally off the shelf, we can for the first time in cardiac regeneration, not only focus on that late stage disease that we have so much difficulty with, but now for those individuals who let's say think they have heartburn and show up a little late, we can use this technology because it's available when they come in for stenting for heart attack. We can use this technology to see if we can protect the heart against what's called ischemia reperfusion injury, which happens when you put the stent in to begin with. So on the one side, we're preventing injury or preventing that late stage disease. And on the other side, we're working to see if we can reverse late stage disease back to more of a medically manageable condition. Hmm. Amazing. Well, what regenerative therapies are currently being used in the clinical situations today and really in patient care? Right now, the kinds of therapies that I just described are all in clinical trials. So I really want the audience to understand that stem cell therapy and even these exosomal therapies that I'm describing are under investigation for heart regeneration. The FDA has not yet approved any of these. And so if someone indicates to them in the, you know, in, in the community that I have a stem cell therapy for your heart disease, these are not FDA approved technologies. And if individuals are interested in these trials, we obviously have some of these active as do other centers. They should make sure that they go to premier centers of excellence to be enrolled in these trials rather than potentially commercial centers. So that's the first thing I, I wanted to highlight. Secondly, we have regenerative technologies active in our practice right now that may not be thought of as regenerative technologies, but they have been deployed to achieve restoration of form and function in order to allow patients to get to a point where they can now be helped with standards of care. So some of these include mechanical support devices, such as being able to put in things like balloon pumps in a way where people can walk around and rehab with them. And we have ECMO uh, support uh, at Mayo Clinic in particular, uh, where we put these in in a way, again, that allows patients to get up, walk around, despite the fact that they may not have very good heart or lung function. And we've been able to bridge these individuals from everything from traditional heart surgery, valve surgery, bypass, et cetera, all the way to heart transplantation. And so at Mayo, we offer this bridging technology for patients who, let's say if they've gone to several other centers and they've been told no, we offer these in order to provide our patients with hope and healing essentially with an option to try and get better when there are no other options available. And in my mind, you know, this is the first clinical step that we have available right now to offer regenerative therapies to patients. And we're working now towards getting other ones in place. So what kind of success are you seeing in these patients? 
So right now, and all of this has been done actually as an effort through the Van Cleve Cardiac Regenerative Medicine Program at Mayo, we have bridged right around 80 patients um, using these different mechanical support devices to either transplant to something called left ventricular assist device or even just conventional valve bypass surgery. All of these patients were considered end-stage candidates or non-candidates for therapies. And what we have done is implemented these mechanical support options to essentially augment their heart's own ability to function for a period of time, let their kidneys recover, other systems recover, so that they can now go to the next step of tolerating these other procedures. So where do you see this going? Um, what's the potential and what do you see on the horizon, say five or maybe 10 years down the road? I think that there is going to be several things that will evolve here in this field. The first thing that's going to happen is that I believe we're going to get better at the mechanical support device component of our practice. And indeed, in individuals who come in with cardiogenic shock, just like we do with heart attack, we're going to evolve our practice to be able to rapidly support those individuals and increasingly save lives. I think that's, for me, the number one thing that needs to be accomplished in clinical practice. The second thing that um, I believe is going to happen in the next five years is that we will have deployment of really point-of-use regenerative technologies and now the biologics realm that will firstly protect the heart against injury in the setting of heart attack. We have several candidates that now we're studying. We've gone to the point of getting FDA clearances to do these trials, and those trials are going to start recruiting here in the spring. So we're going to start studying how to protect the heart against injury. That's 60% of what ends up being uh, end-stage heart failure at the end, right? So that's going to be, I think, the first step that we're going to take. And then in the later stages, probably three, four, five years from now, we're increasingly going to take the practice, which is now completely supported by mechanical support devices, and increasingly evolve it to also encompass biologics-based support, first in the most gravely ill individuals. And as we establish safety, feasibility, and efficacy in that population, we're going to slowly encroach on more and more healthy heart failure patients so as to avoid this advancement towards you know, late-stage heart failure. So I think those are some of the next steps that we're taking. Amazing. Well, let's conclude by maybe asking you to share with our listeners maybe two or three key points which summarize regenerative medicine in cardiology. Regenerative medicine, I think uh, in broad brushstrokes, you should think about regenerative medicine as therapeutic modalities which aim to restore form and function in individuals who traditional medicine has not been able to offer solutions to. I think that when we look at cardiac regeneration, our efforts in hemodynamic mechanical support devices are the first 
big line of regenerative tools that we've now deployed into practice that allow us to achieve that ultimate goal of restoration of form and function in patients. And then the last thing to remember about cardiac regeneration is that we have worked very hard to improve the cost efficiency and accessibility and also the therapeutic efficacy of the types of technologies we want to offer uh, our patient populations. And I believe that in this decade, we really have finally through all of the science that's gone into this field, identified several key potential therapeutic tools that now increasingly will be employed in clinical practice to achieve this feat moving forward. Well, we've been discussing regenerative medicine in cardiovascular disease with Dr. Ada Befar, a cardiologist at the Mayo Clinic. Ada, this is truly amazing information. Uh, thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.